March 13, 1993, the no-name storm. This 1992 Christmas photo of Jamie was when Jamie came back to live with me after her father fled the state. Child Services wanted to interview him based on their suspicions of child abuse, and he packed up and moved to South Carolina overnight. Winsong, our first bobcat, was eight months old, and Jamie was 12. Shortly after this no-name storm, we would rescue 56 bobcats and lynx. I remember this storm better than most. I'm writing from the future in 2015. Our maid, Sandy Whitcop, was at our home taking care of the birds. They were pheasants that Don liked to hatch from eggs and then turn loose, which caused people in the neighborhood to be shooting at us all the time, shooting at the, fennec, or shooting at the pheasants. We also had fennec foxes, some guinea pigs, rabbits, and our pets, who included Winsong the bobcat, Boots the tuxedo cat, Breezy the cream tabby, Midnight the black long-haired cat, and maybe Roxanne or Dash the dogs. I'd left that morning, despite the miserable weather, to go to work, but became concerned as people started talking about massive flooding. Living on Rocky Creek, we've seen our share of flooding. So Don and I went home. Upon arrival, the driveway was completely underwater. We couldn't even get the truck anywhere near the house, so we got out and began pushing through the high water on foot to rescue the animals. We were hoping that Sandy had already moved everyone to high ground. The poor little foxes were swimming for their lives, and Sandy was overwhelmed, to say the least. Don and I scooped up the terrified foxes and everyone else who was swimming in circles in their cages and moved them into the house. It sits on the highest bit of island, and it's often threatened by high water, but never actually goes under. We moved all of the cages in that lowest-lying area to higher ground and began building in earnest to move to Easy Street. This photo shows the cages that had been built along Rocky Creek. They were under about two to three feet of water. This is a story from Fox 13 from that day, and it says, It was one of the most devastating storms to ever hit the Gulf Coast of Florida, but we're not talking about Andrew or Charlie or Wilma. It was the one that didn't even have a name. It's now been exactly 20 years since the no-name storm slammed into our state, packing tornadoes and wind gusts of more than 90 miles per hour. The storm may have had no name, but it the storm may have had no name, but it's the big one that no one can forget. <laughs> yeah. It was dubbed the storm of the century after it swept in with almost no time to react. It was up to your waist, five o'clock in the morning, said one distraught woman we interviewed back then. Boats got tossed around like toys, car windows smashed. The water was in our cars about a foot, said another woman who was being evacuated. There were massive evacuations. Never seen anything like this before, said a woman who was visiting Pinellas County at the time. I was scared all night. Major storm surge like this in March is pretty unheard of, said Todd, Bar Todd Barron who is an emergency response meteorologist at the National Weather Service office in Ruskin. At least 11 tornadoes were, were reported across the state. This storm pretty much had the same impact as a hurricane would, even though it wasn't a hurricane, said Barron. It was just a really intense squall line. Barron said it slammed the shoreline with 70 mile per hour winds. Some reported wind gusts were as high as 100 miles per hour. We had storm surge up to up to 12 across parts of the Big Bend area and across Pinellas County. I think it got up to about seven feet, said Barron. 
Back then, we didn't have the powerful Doppler radar we rely on today. Basically, from Tampa Bay up to Nature's Coast, Citrus County, so that's where some of the strongest winds were actually reported, said Barron. Three people died from an F2 tornado near Chiefland in Levy County. In Ozella, Torty Croft told us she was starting to panic at work. The phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing, and there was no answer, so when I started freaking out, said Croft, who couldn't reach her in-laws, Mary and Charlie, who were watching her six-month-old baby, Kristen. My mother-in-law is four foot eleven. Charlie was six foot two. The water was already waist-deep on them, said Croft. Both of their trucks were floating. He's got Kristen in the carrier over his head. Mary's hanging onto his belt in the back because her feet kept being swept out from underneath her. They all made it to safety. Jeff Losher was only 11 years old and vividly remembers he was staying at an uncle's in Hudson with plans to go fishing that next day. I remember turning over in the middle of the night and being soaked, said Losher, who was sleeping on a small cot in his uncle's living room. He said his uncle towed his aunt, their dog, and brother into a boat as the floodwaters rose. The water was so high it was literally over the cars and he was swimming and kind of towing the boat, said Losher. So what are the chances of something like this happening again? You got to think it's a small chance, said Barron, because we haven't had a storm like this in over 20 years, so I think it's relatively small. And then there's more on this from Wikipedia that says the 1993 storm of the century, also known as the 93 Superstorm and the Great Blizzard of 1993, was a large cyclonic storm that formed over the Gulf of Mexico on March 12, 1993. The storm eventually dissipated in the North Atlantic Ocean on March 15, 1993. It was unique for its intensity, massive size, and wide-reaching effects, particularly in the southeastern United States. At its height, the storm reached from Canada to Central America, but impacted mainly the eastern United States and Cuba. The cyclone moved through the Gulf of Mexico, and even though the eastern United and then through the eastern United States before moving on to Canada, areas as far south as central Alabama and Georgia received six to eight inches, which was 15 to 20 centimeters of snow. Areas such as Birmingham, Alabama reached up to 12 inches with isolated reports of 16 inches. The Florida Panhandle reported up to four inches with hurricane force winds and record low, <laughs> record low barometric pressures. Between Louisiana and Cuba, the hurricane force winds produced high storm surges across the northwestern Florida, which in combination with scattered tornadoes killed dozens of people. Record cold temperatures were seen across portions of the south and east of the United States in the wake of the storm. In the U.S., the storm was responsible for the loss of electric power to more than 10 million households. An estimated 40% of the county's population experienced the effects of the storm, with a total of 318 fatalities, making it one of the most deadly weather events of the 20th century. You know, that was just like the beginning of all of this crazy weather, I think. But that's a, a post for another day, I'm sure.